My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very grey and very cold winter morning here in the capital, but I am delighted to say that joining me on today's show to hopefully add a little bit of warmth and brightness to affairs is Alan Upfold, Director at County Chiropractic and Wellness Centre in Exeter, Devon. Um, Alan, very warm welcome to yourself today and by all means, thank you ever so much for joining us. Yeah, good morning, Scott. Um, thanks for inviting me. It's an immense pleasure having you alongside me, Alan. Now, um, of course, you've been running um, the uh, the centre in uh, Exeter since uh, September 2017, so five years now almost that you've been in charge of that. Um, but I understand that your background was also in hospitality before you sort of turned to sort of that side of um, industry, am I right in saying? Yeah, that's right. So I worked in hospitality for nearly 10 years prior to taking over the clinic. Yeah, and um, I can imagine that maybe you've sort of picked up a few sort of key skills during your time in hospitality that you've been able to sort of transition to the running of the business as well. Um, Actually, it's quite, it's very similar um, as far as uh, the skill set needed to uh, manage a business in hospitality as it is in the wellness industry. You know, you still have, um, you know, you still got a business to run, you still got to put money in the till. You've still got people to manage. You've still got a product to sell. Um, it's very similar. Um, realistically, I, I suppose the only the only real challenge for me was to learn the new product, the different product, mm. as it were. Yeah, and um, what was it, do you think, that sort of made that decision for you to kind of transition into sort of the wellness industry and then go and buy the um, the wellness centre from the, uh, the founder and go and run it yourself? Um, so... I mean, after 10 years, you know, and, you know, into your 30s in hospitality, it's a bit, it starts to get a bit hard going. You're on your feet all day. You're running around chasing after people. You know, you, there's a reason that people in their 50s and 60s don't really work in hospitality in, like, high-volume mm. environments. It's just, you just can't keep up. So I was looking for a change. Um, it wasn't the change I was looking for, actually. I had already started to learn um, uh, learn to be a mortgage advisor, actually. Um, so that's the path I was heading down, uh, to be a financial advisor eventually. That was my plan. Um, but my partner came home from work one day and said, I've been offered the clinic. So she worked, she worked there for a few years before and said that the owners had offered to sell it to her which was an interesting day for us. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I ended up where I am now. That conversation happened and we decided um, we would meet with them and see if it was actually a viable option for us. Mm. Um, we were up against it, really, because we'd literally just bought a house. We just got a car. You know, we just moved, you know, into a sort of like a homeowner skint no money all spent sort of situation yeah um but yeah we we went and spoke to the owners and it would have been um we decided that we would go for it and we find a way to make it work and here you are now absolutely and uh Obviously, in less than three years into um, your tenure at the uh, the centre, um, I suppose you sort of had to get to grips with the immediate challenges posed by the uh, the COVID pandemic and that lockdown being caused back in March 2020. I mean, it seems, of course, like a long time ago now that we talk about that. 
Um, how was it sort of getting around challenges such as that sort of when they immediately hit? I can imagine that there was kind of a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry at that point in time, but it seems as though at this point, two years later, you're still going strong. Um, I mean, initially, I, I, I just sort of couldn't really believe what was going on. I, I, I paid close attention to the news. I could see it going on. And then, um, what is it, March, uh, mm. late March, we were told that we would need to close a business. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a careful guy when it comes to business. I've got a plan for everything that I could foresee. You know, heavy recession, good times, bad times. I had a plan. I knew what I would do. Um, <laughs> but I just did not have a plan for when the government said, you've got to mm. close the doors, mate. <laughs> close it up you can't work anymore and I was like oh great um yeah you know like having to plan out going to tell the team that we've got to close the doors and we don't know for how long um actually on that day I had to do that I had to then go to hospital an evening because the uh, the birth of my child was was happening mm. as I was having those conversations um so yeah it was a pretty anxiety and stress ridden period of time and how was it that you were able to sort of manage that anxiety and sort of keep morale high in-house amongst your colleagues as well? Because I can imagine that amid all the worry, that was very, very difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm a very resilient person. Like I have overcome challenges. Uh, it's something that I'm used to. Um, you know, it takes a lot to sort of like beat me down as it were, you know, I can, I'm, I've just sort of like over the years just got quite good at, at, you know, taking a beating and then standing back up and, you know, keep trying to move forward. Um, so I think that sort of like helped, you know, starting from a very resilient place to, you know, to sort of like, uh, not like, not bury yourself, bury your head in the sand, I suppose. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, when this stuff happens to you, if you stick your head in the sand and hope everything's going to be okay, that's not, that's just not true. You know, you need to, you need to sort of like, you need to accept what's happening to you Mm. and then do everything that you can to limit the damage because it's a, you know, you go into triage situations. You know, if you don't try to cut costs, uh, if you don't, you know, look at the whole situation and say, well, if this is indefinite, how much money have I got? I don't want to lose my team. Um, so I need to protect the money that I have got and that needs to last until we can open the doors again. And just like things like that, just, you know, working hard to get everything as sort of like safe and secure and, you know, to survive, I suppose, uh, a time when you just don't know, you have no idea. Just 10 weeks, mm. I think, for us. 10 weeks, we were fully closed. And I suppose it was quite sort of frustrating as well, being somebody who sort of likes to plan ahead and then that ability to do that is almost taken away from you because advice and the situation was changing so rapidly. You could only really plan days in advance, and never mind sort of weeks, months, years, like obviously you're used to in a business leadership position. So I suppose making that transition as well was also a little bit of a challenge, let's say. Well, you put like you put everything that you had planned. Like you just like you just have to put a pin in it, or like just like forget about it and just not dwell on it. You know, like um, the five-year plan. The five-year plan for us, you know, back in 
2020 is it's not even on the table yet again you know we 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 don't really have a five year plan we're we're thinking about getting back to where we were and that that's that's an unknown because uh like you say at the beginning you know trying to get like the the covid is is not as sort of like prevalent as it was as a situation you know mm. vaccines and things like this and you know people are developing their own immunities and we're sort of coming out of it but it's still around you know it's it's not in the news as such so much you know like covid cases haven't really been reported for about a week which is fantastic to stop the fear um but yeah we're still not back to where we were because we still well i mean our industry we deal with an incredibly high amount of the the particularly vulnerable people elderly people have got conditions that's usually why they come to see us they've got some sort of um condition already so those people um you know they're very careful about you know covid so we don't they don't tend to come in or um they'll be waiting to, to for everything to sort of blow over or however their their mindset is about it so yeah super challenging yeah it seems so and um obviously reflecting on the acute phase of the pandemic you say of course we've hopefully kind of come through that now covid sort of starting to slowly vanish out of the news they're stopping reporting figures and hopefully this is the beginning of the end of the year the pandemic as we know it um do you think that from when it was sort of very much a real crisis that you've learned anything from your experience of guiding the business through it um yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of hard to put things on. Like, I went to protect the team. Like, like more than anything, it was protect my team. My team are awesome. I did not want to lose um, any of my team um, because of something like this. So I went in, like, my whole... I mean, they're, they're always, they've always been a focus of, like, how the decision-making process that Laura and I have about running the, the, the clinic. It's always been about, you know any changes or improvements that we aim to make have to be for the benefit of two groups of people. So the clients first and foremost, and then if it doesn't benefit them, does it benefit the team? If it doesn't benefit either of them and it just benefits us then we don't tend to do it Um, because that's just sort of like a bit of our philosophy. So when this pandemic hit, we got no clients to look after. So when we were making all of these sort of like changes and adjustments, our, our, our top focus was, like, are we protecting the team with what we're doing? Like, you know, if we, if we like let a member of staff go, for example, just to save some money for us, is that going to be good for the long term? You know, for like post pandemic, you know, reopening the clinic, I've got to replace them at some point. So, yeah, it was all about like protect the team, you know, look after them, and then they tend to sort of like reciprocate that and, um, they they are they become a lot more understanding to your situation because you're all sort of in it but you're still looking after them you know that goes like I think that goes a long way with the team yeah so, yeah I learned yeah. I learned to, I learned that <laughs> I suppose I'm not a selfish person in that situation it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> you know I'm like you know these are these are my guys I've got to try and you know help them as well as much as I can that's my responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even like I said, like having a, a brand new a newborn at that time, it was still like, yeah, we got we got we we can handle this. We get through. Yeah, and I th- I think there's there's a lot of important things to kind of take away from that. I mean, and one of them is the fact that you know when 
your business is closed and you're only focusing on yourselves, the team, the longevity of the business, I guess it gives you that period of self-reflection to really kind of look at yourselves, look at your processes, look at the way that you're doing things and sort of gives you that time to kind of take the appropriate course of action in the long run. Um, but I suppose it sort of dawned on us, didn't it, that, you know, we're only as good as sort of business leaders as the team that we've assembled around us. And, you know, we've kind of gone above and beyond during this period of time to safeguard sort of mental well-being with it in-house just to make sure that everybody's in the right headspace. We prioritised our teams, um, sometimes admittedly to the detriment of our own well-being because, you know, we've gone above and beyond and we've been there for everyone. Um, but it is important, I mean, to remember that, that team that you've assembled around you you've obviously got to prioritize them and if you do show that you've got that positive culture in place where they are a priority they are more than likely to go above and beyond for you when the chips are down and you're in a crisis situation and that is something that we've seen in abundance over the last couple of years those businesses that have been successful they've had people in-house that have been willing to put the work in and do whatever's necessary yeah definitely like like definitely like the team the team that we uh, we did we have lost a couple of people throughout the time, um, you know, just because they they've sort of uh, moved on or, or their life has taken a different direction, um, uh, and we haven't uh, we haven't replaced them yet because we're still sort of like rebuilding back up. And like the good news is, is like the past few weeks have actually been like really good, a, a very different or very obvious sort of like change in in, in bookings, which is great. Um, but yeah, like the team. You know, like we've got a team in place that take so much of like the the day to day stresses. Um, you know, they want to be at work. You know, they want to come in, um, and we do everything that we can to make their life easy. And I think you know, um, it, it gets reciprocated in just like in in in, in positive behaviours, um, positive mindset, and things like that. It, it's definitely important that uh, well, if you neglect your team, you know. That's a that's a that's a that's a it's a dodgy path to go down, and I mean I haven't gone down it, but I just know that it doesn't end well for like mm. all all involved. Exactly right. You're only as good as that team around you, and obviously you've got to show that you know you prioritise them. It's as simple as that, really. Um, having sort of emerged from COVID now, I, I do want to obviously talk about what the sort of future might sort of hold from a wider perspective, because when it comes to the healthcare sector, especially with COVID now sort of moving toward the back burner, there is a huge NHS backlog and the, there are plans that have been released by government to address that. It's also trying to press it to health and care bill through Parliament at the moment to integrate care services. Could the chiropractic clinics network help bring that backlog down if the NHS were to approach it for help in doing that, do you feel? So, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, like my, my answer, and I would think a lot of the chiropractors around the country will say, yes, of course we can. Um, and the reason, the, the, the trouble with the backlog, is that it gets a little bit complicated, so I'll, I'll do my best here. So the trouble with the people on the, wait, the patient waiting list is that a lot of them will have been waiting for a long time. Mm. Now, simply put, the longer that you have a problem for, the harder it is to fix or the more problems it creates. So um, as far as dealing with the patient backlog, I think the real issue is, is that like it's getting larger. So chiropractors can help uh, in a way. So you know, 30% of all GP appointments uh, involve the musculoskeletal system, okay? And if that is the first point of call with a GP, 
if let's say um, a person has just like ha- has had a bad back for ages, they haven't had some sort of trauma or obvious trauma where they've maybe broken a bone or, or something like that. They got bad back for, for ages. So they first they go to the GP. If the GPs refer out to the chiropractic network and the chiropractors can do um, what they do and you know get these people feeling better and you know solve the problems that they have, these people don't go to the NHS waitlist. Mm. Um, they don't. They don't. They don't go there. Maybe some. Maybe like ten percent. Maybe do. But if you know, ninety percent of that thirty percent is a very large chunk of people not finding their way. Uh, the reason I say ninety percent, like, it's just you know, I'm not using exact figures here. So if any of you, if you get any comments to say, oh, he's misquoting, I'm not using exact figures. But it's a lot. It's a lot of people. Um, you know, these people don't find their way onto the NHS. Um, to you know uh, that there are other options to get people well again it doesn't need to like sit around waiting for an, an NHS appointment um, but one of the reasons that this happens is obviously chiropractors are private healthcare, and you need to pay the money um, and a lot of people um, well they pay for the NHS already so why would they want to pay for an additional treatment so you know there is that, that disconnect there because chiropractic is not available on the NHS um, but the reason I say this is because during the first uh, lockdown, it, um, I think you had the guy on your podcast. Uh, I forget his name, but you know he was he was um, you know an, an upper chap in the in the chiropractic network, and mm. he he was saying quite clearly that the NHS approached the chiropractic network to help alleviate the strain on the NHS during this pandemic, um, which is fantastic to be recognised in such a way. Um, but what the NHS can now do is to help the chiropractic or to use the chiropractic network to help limit the number of people joining this incredibly long list of people waiting for NHS treatment. There is another option for a lot of these people. Um, And frankly, if the NHS, the, the NHS will need to throw money at the system, whether it's in recruitment, advertising, improvement of services, they just need to throw money. So, the network is in place. Uh, the chiropractors, the ones that have availability, because I know a lot of them are very busy, uh, the ones that have the availability will gladly take um, NHS referrals. And then the NHS can uh, foot the bill, which they're going to have to one way or another with, with whatever option that they choose to go down. So I think a lot of chiropractors will agree with me um, that we can help. Um, we're here we're, and we're ready. It's something to consider, isn't it, to help sort of bring down those waiting lists and also when it gets to a severe stage, actually prevent bed blocking as well. I mean, the solution is is there. I suppose it just needs somebody to look at that as a possibility and hopefully implement it because it is something yeah. that looks like it can work. You know, like obviously, you know, the, you know, conditions, you know, over time can worsen and, you know, the, the, you know, surgery and stuff like that is, you know, a possible outcome. But early intervention can prevent a lot of these um, conditions getting to that point. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people on the NHS wait, wait list waiting for certain things that would actually benefit from chiropractic anyway. Um, but again, you know, that's you know, up to the, you know, the, the, the people who make those big decisions to, to decide whether they want to use the network or not. 
And for any healthcare leaders tuning into this podcast, there you go. There is something very serious to uh, to consider, of course. And um, you mentioned as well, Alan, uh, just before we wrap up as well, that you are sort of just in the process business-wise of kind of building yourself up following the acute phase of COVID. So um, lastly, just before we finish, um, over this sort of next 12 months, um, now that we're embracing the challenges of this new year, 2022, what are some of your sort of ambitions for the end of this year and what do you really hope to achieve over 2022 as you're sort of building back? Yeah, so 2022, I think, is um, our goal is to um, get back, uh, get back to where we were. Um, so, uh, yeah, we just need to like rebuild our patient list and um, uh, re-recruit the team members that we um, have lost, uh, and then get back to where we were, and then look at the spring. Got this one, 2022, but look at 2023 spring for um growth uh expansion uh and then maybe put that five year plan back in place uh which is um you know second clinic um more team holidays for myself perhaps <laughs> just yeah just that's the sort of direction where we go but i don't want to make um i don't want to make an unrealistic target in an uncertain time so you know, we need to get beyond the next winter with like minimal damage um, as, as, uh, to the business, um, and then you know, see to see that happen, and then re-implement the five-year plan. It's all about kind of getting to that point and taking it from there, I suppose, isn't it? And you've got to be tentative, I suppose, because things still can change quite quickly. But you've also still got to kind of embrace that opportunity to kind of plan for the longer term as and when you can, because obviously the ability to do that's been taken away from us so much over the last couple of years. And I do certainly, Alan, wish you all of the luck in the world in sort of building the business back to sort of where you were before. And I do, having obviously thoroughly enjoyed the conversation that we've had, um, I would relish the opportunity actually to sort of welcome you back onto the program at some point in this next year, just to see sort of how things yeah, are coming along absolutely. with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That'd be great. It'd be fantastic. And I do truly hope that there's some very, very positive news to share at that point in time as well. And that you've sort of managed to build back successfully and you're starting to sort of get that five year plan back in place and really look to hopefully a very prosperous future and for joining us on the uh, the show today, I must say thank you as well. I mean, it's fantastic that you've given up your time to come and talk to us to share the story behind your business with us here at the uh, the Leaders Council. And that's what we're all about, really getting those authentic accounts from business leaders out there. So it's been a pleasure having you and thanks ever so much. Yeah, thank you very much. And very as fun. well, yeah, as well, Alan, of course, um, it goes without saying, um, obviously, we're not quite clear of COVID yet. So do take care and do stay safe with all that's still going on in the world, too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was such an immense pleasure welcoming Alan Upfold, Director at County Chiropractic and Wellness Centre in Exeter, onto the programme today. And for anybody tuning in as well who may run their own business or organisation and feels that they have their own story of success to share with us, then we, of course, also want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, to all of our regular listeners, Please do take care and goodbye.